Buongiorno amici, or buonasera, I should say, because it's evening here, the world headquarters of Kimberly's Italy podcast. <laughs> I'm Kimberly Holcomb, and I am here with Tommaso. Buonasera. Buonasera. We ended our last episode with the last few days of Kitten Club trip number one. And this new episode is on Kitten Club trip number two the second half of my epic road trip from north to south. And this Kitten Club 2 trip came about because I figured since I was going to be there, I might as well ask a few friends around uh, the country who might be interested in uh, doing a somewhat spontaneous trip to Italy because after all, we were all kind of... A little bit of travel angst or like, let's go somewhere (laughs) besides our living room. So Italy is a good option. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) So I asked a few friends and sure enough, the replies came in pretty quickly. And in the end, it ended up to be four women again. And with that, Tom offered his services to escort them from America to Rome. Absolutely. And funny enough, one of the girls that signed up, she gave you the perfect moniker right away and called him Tomcat. (laughs) So it kind of stayed with that. However, before we dive into this episode, let me explain that our podcast here is primarily so Tommaso and I can chat about our love of all things Italian. But at the same time, I want you to know that I am not a travel agent. I'm a travel planner. I do not work off commissions from hotels or anyone, actually. I plan completely unique and personalized trips for individuals, couples, groups of friends, group of families, and no two trips are ever the same. And since everyone's needs are so diverse, I offer three different options of travel planning services, from a consultation fee all the way to the whole shebang. (laughs) You know, those that want every single detail taken care of. So please get in touch with me and we'll discuss these options. Best way is email at kim at kimberlysitaly.com. Kitten Club 2 started our trip in the sweet village of Monopoly, where we stayed for three nights in un posto perfetto. (laughs) (laughs) Right? The perfect little place. We had the whole floor to ourselves. It was was great. It was was beautiful. It was right on top of a couple of cafes. Oh, my God. (laughs) It was nice. It was so good in every single way. Anyway, while we were in Monopoly, Tommaso and I did a recording one day on the harbor side. And that is from, if you want to go back and listen to that, because we discussed your first full day there and you were so enthralled and happy and it was just lovely. And that episode is from November 23rd and it is called Welcome to Puglia. However, in that episode, we did not get into the history of either Puglia or Monopoly And Tommaso and I love, we both love knowing the history of where we are. So when you are there, you know what you're looking at. You know what you're standing on. So, Tommaso, please share. Ah, the history from the history buff. He's a history buff, too. Anyway, Monopoly is obviously in Puglia, and the Italians would call it Apulia. Well, that is how it is pronounced, Apulia. But we call it Puglia. True. And that's better than Puglia. (laughs) No offense. And that's what everyone, that's yeah. what you would think of. Yeah. yeah. Puglia. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Puglia. So essentially it's the heel of the boot of Italy. 
and it's three quarters surrounded by water. It has the Adriatic Sea to the east, it has the Ionian Sea to the southeast, and a couple of straits and gulfs in the bottom, which I won't go into. But basically, it's surrounded three quarters of the whole... It's almost an island. Well, it's surrounded three quarters by water. And given the water that's down there, which is so clear and so colorful, right? It's, It's just beautiful. It really is. And... The clarity of that water stunning and the freshness of the seafood. And as we used to say about the no-name restaurant in Boston, fish so fresh you could slap it. (laughs) (laughs) That restaurant's name was actually No Name. Right. It's called the No Name. (laughs) That was a legend. Anyway, it's home to about 4 million people and has been occupied continuously since about 500 BC. That's it. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Rather young place. Um, But the weather down there changes rapidly because of the location on the Adriatic. And as you know, my darling, I'm a weather geek. Mm -hmm. And it depends on where you go, but you're frequently exposed to winds of various strengths. And they come down from Southern Europe, from the mountains, and the temperatures change dramatically. And sometimes within a day, you can see drastic changes from warm to cold. There's a northerly wind that comes down right down the Adriatic and it's called the Bora and it can lower the temperature rapidly and the humidity and moderate the hot summer heat. And there's also very, very hot. Yes. Like in August. And there's also the Sirocco, which I've been in the med sailing at one point when we had a Sirocco and it comes off North Africa and that can raise temperatures a lot and Mm -hmm. it can also bring a lot of humidity and occasionally drop red dust from the Sahara, which with the humidity is called red blood. It rains Ooh, red blood. Yes. That didn't happen while we were there. Negative. It but did what, not. what did happen while we were there was just about daily, every afternoon it would get a little cloudy, then it would clear, then it would be windy, and right. then may, maybe a little rainstorm, but daily it fluctuated. Well, that's the function of the land heating right. up during right. the course of the day. So anyway, going back to that cathedral we talked about in the first episode on Monopoly, that's a Baroque cathedral, and it's called Maria Santissima della Madia. Bravo. Oh, I'm getting good, Pretty baby. good. I'm getting good. And it's in the center of the Centro Historico, as we know. And we spoke of it before, but we didn't include many details. And it's a pretty good story, and it's still celebrated today, so it's worth talking about in case you're in there and you see this little procession coming by at some point. But the church is not the original church that was there that occupied the site. The construction of the previous church started sometime in the 12th century, and because of the lack of trees in the area, right? There aren't many trees. only olive trees, only olive they're trees. not that tall. Right. There weren't enough beams to hold the roof up, so they had to stop the construction. So one day, this raft drifted in with an icon of the Madonna on it. Now, whoever, whoever teed that up, I don't know. <laughs> it's but, a good, it's a good lore. I it, love it. It was, it was, came in and they took the timbers. Without people on it, it without, was just a raft that yes, floated in. with the Madonna. And they took the timbers from the raft, must have been a substantial raft, or the churches way back then were kind of small. But they finished the roof of the church with the timbers. Unfortunately, whether it was sea worms or some sort mm, of, you know. Waterlogged. Well, waterlogged, <laughs> but anyway, they, um didn't do a really good job of construction. And there were numerous 
collapses and they'd rebuild and collapse and rebuild. A lot of people got killed. So in the 17th century, they decided to go ahead and rebuild the church and tear that one down. Start from scratch. Start from scratch. And that's why you got that beautiful Baroque uh, church that's there now with all that marble and all the frescoes. On the interior. On the interior. exterior, first of all, is about the only building in the village that's not white, correct? Right, right. And then, so it's plain from the outside. The exterior is... Not bland, but it's definitely, you know, not ornate and not clad in marble. It looks sandstone, it looks like. Correct. And when you walk in, you're like, what? You just didn't expect it. It's unbelievable. And that's the fun. And okay, Tom calls me church later all the time, but you are. That's why I love them. Yeah. Because when you walk into a museum, you know what you're going to see. You're going to see all the masterpieces or, or, from little known artists and I appreciate all of it, but you never know what you're going to see when you walk into a church. So I spend, even if it's only one minute walking into a nondescript looking church, you never know what's in there. And that's to me, the joy of it. Fair enough. Art, sculpture, marble, mosaics, wood, you name it. So anyway. Okay. Okay. Church lady. Sorry. Okay. All right. (laughs) Anyway, in order to celebrate this icon coming in, they, way back when, in the 12th century, they started this procession, and they would honor the Madonna by walking around with some representative nature of it, and walking around and having a having a wonderful day, a religious holiday, which they have a fair number of them. I think they have like <laughs> 363. <laughs> and they actually, to this day, carry around a Madonna in a boat. Yes. In Monopoly. Oh, that's awesome. Right? So if you're ever in Monopoly and you see this boat coming down with a, a Catholic priest and people, you know, looking very serious. Um, that's from La Madonna. La Madonna, way back then. I love that Italians still keep a lot of cultures do that, I'm sure. But they still have those processions and the whole village comes out. They will follow the procession and make a make a day of it. Have a special meal. Have a special drink. Have a day off. Right. It's, <laughs> it's a no-brainer. <laughs> anyway, uh, the other thing there is in in um, Monopoly is the Piazza Giuseppe Garibaldi. Tell me about. Jeez, Louise, did you guys hear that? He he, he got that right. Giuseppe Garibaldi. <laughs> he just can't roll his tongue, but. Other than that, you're really improving. I'm like gobsmacked here. Giuseppe Garibaldi, or let me say this, the name Garibaldi is in basically every teeny village, every mid-sized town, and every large city. And in every city like Rome, Florence, Milano, there is a Corso Garibaldi, and Piazza Garibaldi, because he is so famous, and Tom will tell you why, but in Monopoly, Piazza Garibaldi was about as big as our little, our house right here, <laughs> but right. it was a gem. It was a gem. And Garibaldi, he was the George Washington of Italy. Of Italy. And I didn't realize that until I started looking into this. And he was, his name was Giuseppe Maria Garibaldi. And he was born in 1807, and he died in 1882. Prior to Italy being Italy, which is, if you don't know the story, Italy wasn't a country. It was a 
group of city-states, Venezia, Lombardia, Firenze, Florence. I'm getting pretty good, aren't I? Except for Lombardia, it's Lombardia. Okay, other than that. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) Okay. Anyway. uh, I'm still impressed. Okay. He contributed to the unification of Italy. He really thought that they should create a country and a kingdom, essentially. But Italy is a country that is so much younger than the States, and it was a combination of all these things, but he was a huge... The driving force. The driving force of the Democratic Republican government of Italy. And that is somewhat akin to George Washington. Ben, he was also a general and a warrior, and when all he was exiled to South America and everything. But oh, anyway, neither here nor there. Um, it's a wonderful place, Piazza Giuseppe Garibaldi, to sit and have lunch, and we had a bunch of cappuccinos there, and lunch, I think, twice during the time we were there. Mm-hmm. And the, only, it, the only meal we missed there was dinner outside yeah. in Piazza Garibaldi. And it's one of those places where you do one of the most stereotypical and pleasant things to do in Italy. You sit and people watch. Yes. It's teeny, and it's right next to the harbor. You just have to walk through this archway, through a building. There's the harbor. The fishermen come and go, and there's little cafes, patisserias, gelaterias, and that is also where that little, mm, like, the equivalent of town hall. Right. And they, I did not see it, but everyone else did. They went inside and they have a model, an architectural model of Monopoly right. that was fantastic, they said. So if you do go, go into that little town hall and, and see that. Piazza Garibaldi was small and quiet while we were there off season. And it really was one of those sweet little gem of a piazza surrounded by the white walls. And only the only color you really see is that crazy, awesome blue on shutters and green shutters. And, and then you look through the archway to the, to the harbor and all the blue boats. The it blue was just against the white. idyllic. And speaking about the harbor, now we're going down to the quay. Right, going down to the harbor and the okay, here we go. Castello di Carlo numero cinque. Bravo. Bravo, <laughs> Madonna, non lo credo. I'm calling Luisa. <laughs> and <laughs> it is a wonderful example of Italian coastal fortresses. And it was Originally built to defend Monopoly against various pirates who would come in. and it, sp- is, it is right on the seawall. Yes, it was right on the seawall. And it wasn't as big way back then. Mm. And the quay wasn't as long because obviously things weren't as, as large. But it was really built because of the Spanish army and the Spanish navy coming to try and conquer and steal and take over. Unfortunately, yes, it was captured by the Spanish and the Spanish did a little renovation and built and extended the castle to accommodate all their soldiers and their families. And it was turned into a prison eventually hmm. um, and used as a prison up until pick one, 1950s, 1960s, or the 1990s, because I can't figure it's... it's oh, because there's all that information there's all that information. I'm going to say 50s. I'm going to say 50s too, because it was used through the 90s. <laughs> that was... Uh, that was um, that well... Was, I will say while we were there, it was going under a pretty intense renovation and I did not go inside, but a couple of the 
girls did. And they said it was, you know, plain. Um, getting in was harder than getting in because of COVID and showing your quarant- uh, your vaccination card and all that stuff. It took more time than to actually see what was inside. Well, yeah. I mean, it was a prison, right? So it's not going to be like ornate. But from the outside, it's impressive. And the views from the inside are phenomenal, too. But also, just like all the other buildings in Monopoly, it's built with this sandstone. And the amount of work they must do to the buildings on the most exterior, right on the water, must be maintained every year. But some of the buildings inside, all over Apulia, inside the village, away from the water, they, you can stick your finger into right. the divots. Well, it's of, a sandstone. It, it goes with time. So also like the exterior facade of the cathedral right anyway so carry on i interrupted that's right let's finish up with the quay on what how you can really enjoy the quay if you're there oh travel tip travel tip so (laughs) if you are the quay faces west it faces almost due west and east east and west well east and west you're standing on a quay right you can well there's a wall behind you but you can actually sit on the quay correct and the big wall behind you, you can't see to the east, but you're looking back towards town. And if you go out there with a bottle of wine and uh, your special someone, <laughs> leave the kids at home um, and some cheese and watch the sunset because Monopoly being white and all the church steeples and the belfries that are there, uh, when the sun, all these previously mentioned weather pattern and right. it comes in and gets changes stormy and, and moody and then the sun sets and you're looking out the west and the the town lights up and it glows and you're having a bottle of wine yeah yeah not bad not bad so that's our travel tip okay if you're in monopoly go during a dramatic sunset yes so okay well thanks for the history there we go um class okay because now when people walk around they'll think okay castello carlo quinto that's old everything else is old it's just so much better to know what you're looking at and mostly what you're standing on i love that part right all right so i will go back to the actual like second full day of this kitten Kitten club club number two so just like my first two week trip I gave everyone the option of Italian names. And the way I did it was, if your name starts with a L, I gave you three or four names that start with an L. So in the end, we had Livia, Ninetta, Rosanna, Chiara, and Tommaso, of course. And I remained Kappa. Il Capo means the boss, and Kappa <laughs> is the female version. And it's spelled with a C, but there is no letter K in the Italian language. So I spell mine with a K just to be different. Just to be different. <laughs> anyway, on our second full day in Puglia on this trip, we took up the offer of my new friend Vito, which I mentioned in the previous episode that we recorded in Monopoly. Vito runs a little shop in the Centro Storico, and he sells wine, olive oil, little things you need on a daily basis. And I went in so many times, and he was so friendly and so nice to the point where one day I said, 
Can I just ask you your hours because you were closed yesterday morning and you like Monday morning, you're closed Tuesday afternoon. And what's, do you have any like specific S- hours? hours. <laughs> and they, they're not big on that down there. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> so he looked at me and he said, well, if you really want something, go around the corner to numero dodici, you know, number 12, ring the chitofono, ring the buzzer and I'll, I'll come down and help you out. It's like, well, are you always home? He goes, well, if I am, I will. (laughs) He was so friendly and so nice. So after I introduced everyone from our group to Vito one night, he said, would you guys like to, because we were buying the olive oil. And he said, would you guys like to go visit my family's olive mill? We're like, Chateau, of course, why not? So he gave us the address and we made a plan to do that the next morning. So Tommaso and I left in the morning to walk outside of the historic center to go get the passenger van. Have I told the name yet? No. Okay. So I rented this passenger van. I turned in the Fiat Tipo that I had for the first two weeks at the Brindisi airport when I dropped off the girls from the first trip. And I used the same car rental company, Italian company, And it's very easy there, FYI, Brindisi Airport, the car rental places are right at the end of the airport, you know, grounds, so you can walk to it from your Yeah, you're not taking taking a transfer bus across five miles. So it was very easy, and when I turned in the Fiat Tipo, I asked for my Volkswagen Caravelle, which I paid for, which I looked at online, I chose it, it looked great, it was new, they even made a point of saying, brand new. So that was not there. They always give you that option of or similar. So I got the or similar, <laughs> right? And but, wasn't similar, similarly new. <laughs> no, it was not in any way, shape or form similar. However, I was not going to complain because this was during COVID. Right. And unlike America, Italian rental car companies did not sell off their fleets. Right. They kept everything and the prices are still reasonable. I mean, renting a passenger van is much more expensive than a car because it could fit 10 people technically. So I did not complain. I didn't even see it. I was just told that it wasn't my VW Caravelle. So when I got out there, I opened it. I was like, (laughs) okay, fine. It'll be fine. And it was also a six gear stick shift. And I got myself, you know, acclimated to it and everything. And it was large, like larger than the Mercedes vans, Mercedes, but they pronounce them Mercedes, larger than the Mercedes van. I am accustomed to driving there. Right. Also with a six gear. Right. So I took off and my goal for that day was to go to Ostuni on my own. I had like a day and a half to myself before everyone arrived. Then instead of picking everyone else up in this van, I hired a driver, which I spoke about in the first episode. We had this lovely gentleman named Stefano that picked everyone up. So when we decided to go to the olive orchard on the second full day, Tommaso and I walked to outside the historic center to a parking space that, you know, went with the accommodations where we were staying. And he had not seen this van yet. So we got in, I backed it up. He helped me out of this very, (laughs) very tight 
not squeeze. Another Vaseline requirement. <laughs> it was so tight. And um, when he got in, I just looked at him. I go, mm-hmm. it has that that aroma from those cardboard air fresheners, air fresheners. those little, those little, those little yeah. pine trees you're right. supposed to hang. Mm-hmm. So anyway, and then we drove through the town back to the harbor, arranged that the girls would meet us there in 20 minutes, and it all worked out fine. And when everyone got in, they're like, they didn't say anything. They're like, okay, and I was like, I'm sorry, it's not the brand new Volkswagen Caravan Caravel. And with that, Tom goes, instead, she- we're driving. The litter box. <laughs> the litter box by the kitten club. And it wasn't that bad. No, it wasn't. But, but it was just so funny. It wasn't new. No. And it wasn't what you were. So the name stuck. We just kept with the name. So we drove the litter box from Monopoly, <laughs> which also going from the the harbor up the narrow streets of the historic center was a very tight fit. Also, yep. this van was wide had big uh, side passenger mirrors. And I do believe I heard a little clip at one point. I do think I clipped another person's, um, whatever. So getting out of there, I was like, okay, phew. Then we get onto these secondary roads and small roads to go up the hills to the olive orchard. The roads got more and more narrow, but at the same time, we were surrounded by, in every view, everywhere you looked, endless acres and acres of olive trees. Of olive trees. And they're old. Some of them are thousands of years old. And I had been driving around the whole day before and had seen them previously, but no one else had. So the commentary was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Pull over, pull over. I need to take a photo. You can't pull over. There's no room. And I have a six gear stick shift and I'm going, you know, up a hill. If I stop, I'll be going down the hill backwards. <laughs> so no, no photos for you. <laughs> take them take them out of the windows of the, yeah, of the while s- we're driving. somewhat dusty windows of right. the litter box. It was really funny. So anyway, then we finally get very close to the olive orchard. We were following Google Maps direction that was working just fine and then i make the last turn onto a dirt road and this road obviously from some old estate had stone walls on either side and that those were built way before cars so all of a sudden it got more and more narrow or the van was getting bigger the litter box was growing so i think we like pulled in the side side view mirrors and the best part is Olivia sitting in the back seat took a photo while we were driving and it is the perfect photo because it shows me driving with my arms and my hands 10 and 2 on the steering wheel like you learned how to drive in driving school and I am like laser focused she because you can see my face through the rear view mirror from where she was sitting I'm like laser focused and I could see Tom kind of like tense. He's well, like, there, were, there was no blood in your fingers. They were completely white because you're gripping the <laughs> steering wheel so hard. Anyway, so we pull into the drive and we're like, phew, made that. And we parked and there was no one else up there at this barn kind of building. At the And obviously, you know, we had the name and we knew where we were was the right place. And I looked around and all of a sudden this 
young man comes walking out of the building and the only thing you could see was his smile. Yes. I was like, oh my God, you must be Cosimo because in the store, they have all these pictures of the family. It's a family affair. So I see this smile. I'm like, say Cosimo. See, certo. Qui say? Who are you? I was like, I am Kimberly and uh, your cousin Vito told me that we could come visit. And he goes, va bene, okay. He had no, you know, I don't think Vito told him, but anyway, we were there. Vito went back, took took a nap. Right. (laughs) So we were there and we weren't really thinking, but we did arrive a little bit before like the lunch hour. So we arrived at like 1230, 1245. And he saw the six of us and he thought, Come on, they just made the drive as foreigners. I'm going to give them the tour. He gave us the best tour. And keep in mind that none of us had ever been in Olive Mill, Olive Press. None of us had seen it. Funny enough, Tommaso and I eat olive oil every day of our lives. Mm -hmm. And now I have a whole new appreciation for how much goes into it. And a whole new appreciation of what beautiful olive oil tastes like. Oh, Madonna, right? So Vito, oh, excuse me, Cosimo explained the entire process, which they do in the traditional way. So I'll summarize it quickly. They pick the olives. They have them all in these huge crates. They bring them inside. They put them in this machine that has these two um, granite wheels. Right. And these wheels just spin around the surface and crush, crush, crush these olives. Right. Okay. And then from there, they take that smashed kind of olive spread. Slurry like. Slurry. Good word. Yes. And they spread them onto these round metal discs that might be like 30 inches in diameter. But the thing is they have this like fan type profile. Right. All the way from the edge to the center. So when that olive slurry slurry is spread on it, then they're stacked one on top of each other, these discs. Right. That way, when the machine that presses it up from the bottom to the top where there's a flat metal roof, right. then all the oil comes out and drips down from that profile. From there, it goes into a machine that I will describe uh, the analogy. It's like a salad spinner. Right. So, it spins around and then the oil comes out of that. And then finally it goes into this machine that has the filtration process. And it doesn't take that long, but it was like clockwork and this place was clean. And the men working there who stayed a little late for us, even though it was their lunch hour, they were so sweet and kind. And then once we got the whole lay of the land, the guys were like, okay, we're going off to right. lunch. Oh, fine, I'm hungry. Have a cigarette and lunch. Yeah. So... The other helpers left, the workers left, I should say, and Cosimo stayed because we wanted to buy olive oil. But then he got a little busy, so we were totally content to hang out because at the same time, he just took a plate, put it under the pipe where the olive oil was coming out, this like green, yellowy goodness, and he just had this olive oil come out of the plate, put it down on a table, and there were some, you know, like crackers and those Tarali biscuit type things from Puglia. And the six of us were like, it was life changing. 
for those of you who want to see that, I intend to post that on our Facebook, Kimberly's Italy Facebook page. And you should also put it, because I've got a, the, the video, put it on the Instagram feed, dear, because it's beautiful to look at. You just want to just, just stick your head down there and <laughs> open your mouth. Well, we refrained. We refrained. We refrained from doing that, but we did taste it. I dipped my finger straight into that plate. I couldn't help it. I didn't want I didn't want a cracker or a tarali. I wanted to just taste it and it was unbelievable. So that cold press process preserves the most minerals and vitamins possible from the extraction. And that's what we ate. And that's what we waited around to buy. But Cosimo got busy and then all of a sudden this older couple, quite elderly couple came in and the woman, like a husband and wife, and she was kind of limping. And so I thought, oh, maybe that's Cosimo's parents. So I asked him in Italian, he goes, no, 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 sono clienti vecchie, you know, old, old clients. And the woman heard me and thought, oh, a foreigner speaks Italian. So with that, she took the opportunity to tell me about her ailment, which was... (laughs) Everything was like a broken hip and surgery and this and that. And and I was being polite and it was sweet and fine. So I kept listening and then it kind of dragged on for a bit. And I thought, well, I'll just ask her, you know, try to rush this up because I want to buy my olive oil. And our goal was to go to Ostuni for the afternoon and evening. So anyway, finally, I said to this woman, well, when when did this surgery happen? And she goes, oh, cinque anni fa. Five years ago. And with that, the <laughs> husband takes off. He's like, oh, my God, now I have to hear about the last five years. And Cosimo's outside, <laughs> hanging out, smoking a cigarette, looking at me like, oh, yeah, she got you sucked in. And then all of a sudden, another car drove up. And it was this uh, gentleman who got out and he took one look at these six foreigners. He sort of scowled. He did. And he didn't come in. He sat out and leaned on his car and had a cigarette as well and just kind of wondered what was going on. So I decided I'm going to go out and introduce myself because, to be honest, this gentleman looked like he came right off the set of a Godfather movie. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, I'm going to be nice just in case. (laughs) So I introduced myself and said we were all from America and seeing this you know, process for the first time and Cosimo's so nice. And I know the cousin Vito. And with that, he's like, oh, Vito. Okay. So in the end, he was really pleasant. And we all had our group photos taken with him. Not the, not the older couple and, and Cosimo. It was fantastic. We all bought olive uh, tins of olive oil. Large tins that we, we got. A gallon, a gallon and a half, maybe. I I think we got almost two gallons. And we also bought a couple of bottles, yep. small bottles, but here's another travel tip. Yes. Travel tip number two of this episode. If you buy something like that, do not put it in your carry-on luggage. No. Check it because poor Chiara and Rosanna had theirs taken away at JFK Airport. Right. And they were crushed. Right. So like just 
crying. So if you're going to Puglia or somewhere where there would be olive oil and you want to come back with enough for three months of heaven, <laughs> um, basically pack light, make sure you leave some room, even throw a garbage bag in there. Just we did. In, just we in wrapped case. it in a garbage bag, yeah. a plastic garbage bag. Yeah. We put uh, you know jeans around it, whatever, because this was like liquid gold to us. Yeah. There was no way we weren't going to come back well, with this olive oil. It also would have been a really bad scene if it, like, you know, you were dripping olive oil through the airport or on the way out. <laughs> anyway, so even though that olive mill visit was maybe an hour and a half, it was just awesome. Yep. Wasn't it? It was beautiful. We got to know Cosimo, yep. the old clients, the Godfather character. No, yes, the Godfather character. And walked away with one of those experiences that you only get when you befriend an Italian. Yes. And they're so happy to share that kind of stuff with you as long as you make the effort first. And watching this process that has been done for hundreds and thousands of years of taking these olives and creating this olive oil, this liquid gold, yes, and watching it, how it's done in this, you know, very, very, they're artisans. It's not a big traditional, traditional it's not a, big factory no. it's a really it's you know it's not a barn but it's a small industrial building and it's one or two people working in there making this liquid gold it was wonderful it really was and you know i will say in my almost month-long road trip i had a lot of experiences like that so i'm not i don't mean to pat myself on the back but this is what happens when you just befriend italians you get right. experiences like you wouldn't otherwise. Yeah, if you're not doing just the greatest hits, if you're getting off the beaten path a little bit. and But you make the effort. So you make like, the effort, too. And it helps that I can converse in Italian, but they all speak English. So I initiate the little, you know, friendship in Italian, and then it just flourishes from there. Wait till I get there next time with my new phone. Oh, yeah, right? <laughs> we have no idea what's in store for us. <laughs> Our next episode will be on Kitten Club 2's drive from Puglia to Matera in the litter box. In the litter box, yes, <laughs> which is a little and different. Can I just say, I know we've already been to Matera, but our experience was different and we have different stories to share and they're equally as entertaining. But I just want to say that out of my month-long trip, this drive, this particular drive from Puglia to Matera was the most entertaining, funny, we were crying, laughing, hysterical drive, and we'll share why. Okay. <laughs> we'll be back next week. So, ci sentiamo. Ciao, ciao. Grazie tutti. Ciao, ciao.